Good afternoon, everybody. We're ready to begin part two of a two-part series on Godly Marriage Checkup. So uh, as, as we talked last time, we really only spent time talking about one point. And, and that one point was looking at a, a good part of the book of Ephesians, especially the initial part uh, of Ephesians, and, and looking it as from the standpoint of coming to the time that we come to Ephesians 5 and begin to discuss the, the descriptions of, of what it is to be a, a loving husband and what it is to be a loving wife. It's more of a, if, if I could put it this way, it's more of a manifestation of a, as a, for example, let me talk about marriage. As Paul talks about our Christian life, our Christian calling, our, how we are connected to the body of Christ, how we are the body of Christ, how we are a, a church that is striving to be together in unity, what our future uh, is, and, and how we are to interact with one another in kindness and gentleness, all these things, and, and then submitting ourselves to one another in the fear of the Lord, and then uh, husbands, and then talks about that, wives, Children obey in this regard. Uh, parents don't uh, don't treat our children in a way that provokes them to wrath. Slaves work in this way for your masters. Masters uh, work in this way as you work with those who are servants uh, in your in your household. All of those kinds of things. So the point that we covered the very first uh, message was simply this: in the church, the spiritual state of our lives as Christians directly impacts our marriage. Uh, so, you know, we talked about that. We talked about how we wouldn't want it any other way as, as God's people, two, two individuals who have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Would we want it any other way? That the spiritual state of our marriage uh, is directly impacted by the spiritual state of our individual lives. So we talked about that two weeks ago. So my, my question to begin today, have we minimized this since reflecting on this two weeks ago? What is the state of your, of your spiritual life? What is the state of my spiritual life uh, as a Christian? Yeah, I, re I really need to start working on that. And you know how we talk about intentions. Yeah. Intentions uh, really are, are just that, just intentions. Are we, are we really, and have we in the last couple of weeks, really made strides in, in our relationship with God, in the spiritual state of our lives? Hopefully that's the case. Hopefully that is something that we've been striving to do and that we're continuing to do in our, in our daily lives. But with that in mind now, we kind of get into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty today. You know, you know, I'd like to get into all kinds of intricate details. It's just so hard to, to do that in the course of a sermon without having a 13-part message. So I want to really make this a two-part message. So we'll, we'll talk about uh, four additional points today in terms of, of this whole concept of of a godly marriage checkup. So let's, uh, let's get the wheels turning today as we uh, continue in the message and, and, and let us all reflect, for those of us who are, who are married, let us reflect on these, these points that we're talking about today. How is this going in my marriage? How is this going in, in these areas? What if 
There are those of us that want, that want to be married. Uh, am I developing these kinds of traits with, with, as I interact with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Are these important to me? What am I doing in these areas now to prepare for marriage? Any time that we start talking about marriage and, and deal with the, the, the ideal for what we should be shooting for, we, 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 we've got to step back and, and recognize, and, and I, I want to be sensitive to this, I, I recognize that in a congregation like this, we've got folks in all kinds of different situations. We've got folks who have lost mates. We've got folks who have gone through divorce, very difficult divorces. We've got folks uh, who are struggling in their marriages. We've got folks who would really, really like to be married. We have folks that who are not married who have kind of come to the conclusion or the realization that, uh, you know, as Paul states in one, one place, I, this, is, this is a good state. This is a good state uh, for me to be in because I can do this in service to the Lord. So we've got folks in all kinds of situations. And I know uh, for those uh, here in the congregation who may have really, really had some intense struggles in marriage and gone through, you know, difficult, difficult times and even marriages that ended in divorce. Sometimes as we talk about subjects like this, about what God says in Scripture we should be striving to, to accomplish as a couple, uh, it can be very disheartening. And uh, please, please don't let that be the case. Uh, because as we talked last time, uh, all of this, he said, it, it, it's, it's a mystery because the, the mystery, the hidden truth is the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that God gives us marriage. He gives us family. He gives us the church. He gives us all of these, these concepts to, to experience in this life that help us realize even more importantly what is coming. The, the real truth, the real reality that God has in store for all of mankind. So uh, keep that in mind as we go through the passages today. So first point, which was what we covered last time, the ch in the church, the spiritual state of our lives as Christians uh, directly impacts our marriages. Let's look at the second point today. I want to go through four passages to uh, build on this point and then state it. Uh, it's, it's a pretty, pretty basic point, but it is, it, is, it is one that is true that we see happening in, in solid marriages. Ephesians 4, verse 2. Ephesians 4, verse 2. We're going to string four passages together today to, to build a point on this second point of, of a way to do a godly checkup in our marriage. Is this happening in our marriages now? Ephesians 4, verse 2. Ephesians 4, verse 2, Paul states... With all, as we interact with one another, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep this, this unity, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, we look back across the page for me, uh, Ephesians 2.22, in whom you're also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The church is being built together for, for a single dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So here we are as a, as a couple, husbands and wives. Uh, would you say this 
characterizes your marriage? Does this characterize, if, if folks were, for, were looking at your marriage, would they say this about them? That, that they, they are lowly, they are gentle with one another, they're long-suffering uh, with one another, and they bear with one another in love. Husbands, as you think on your wives, and wives, as you think on your husbands, are there some things that you bear with that other person in love with? I, I think almost all of us can say, yeah, there, there are some things. There are some things. Yeah, I know some things. I know Lisa has some things where which, with she bears with Andy in love. It, it's the nature of, of the relationship of, of husband and wife. But do we do so in a lowly way, in a humble way, in a gentle way? With, with great long-suffering. 1 Peter 3, let's look at 1 Peter 3. Let's come to that in a second. Let's go to Hebrews 10. Let's do that one first. Hebrews 10, Mr. Franks talked about this recently with uh, the Sabbath and the assembling. I want to th- look at that from a little, little different viewpoint here to to overlay marriage on that concept. I think the same principle is, is in effect. Here we are uh, as, as husbands and wives dwelling with one another, knowing intricately that individual's weaknesses, that, that individual's challenges, uh, the, the struggles, the, the insecurities sometimes that, that we can feel and in, in, in feel we have in, in different ways. We know that, all those about about our, our mate. And God wants us to, to, to dwell with one another with understanding and to bear with one another in love. So let's, let's look at this, this point here as we uh, flesh out a bit here, Hebrews 10, verse 25. We talk about this often, and, and I think this is the context of it, is, is this, this connection that we have as the body of Christ. But if, if marriage... If our marriages are to reflect the, the relationship or that help us greater understand the relationship that Christ has with the church <laughs> that we, and, and that we as one body have with, with one another, uh, could we say that, that, this ca- that this characterizes our individual marriages here in verse 25? Verse 25 of chapter 10, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There is... A, a challenge that we have not only as a church, but also a challenge that we can have in marriage to, to really seek to grow together. We, we, are, we are one flesh. We are to uh, leave our father and mother and, and come together as husband and wife as one flesh. There is a, a coming together uh, at, that we see, as, as Scripture brings out, and, and in a sense, this is speaking to that, the assembling of ourselves together, the connection uh, to grow closer and closer to one another. And, and notice verse, the rest of verse 25, but exhorting one another and so much more, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Men, you've got that wife there by your side that is, is in the race uh, with you. Uh, my wife is in that race with me, and we have the opportunity as we grow close to one another to, to encourage, to, to lift up, and, and 
you know, that, that whole you can do it uh, kind of philosophy in, in building up our, our, our loved one beside us. As we see the day approaching, what a, what a blessing it is for, for two people who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ and His way of life, who have God's Spirit dwelling in them, to be able to, to say and know that, that we're here to encourage and exhort one another so much more as we see the day approaching. We both recognize deeply this, this day is coming. Things are happening around us in the world that are, that are scary in terms of where it could be going and what, what could happen, but we know the day is approaching. We know what the plan is, and to be able to have that individual at our side, to be that one flesh with us, that one unit, that one body that is going forward as we strive to, to serve God is, is tremendously comforting. Let's look at Romans 12. Romans 12, another passage. Romans 12, here as it's talking about the body of Christ, about the church and the various roles of the church, we come to this verse in verse 9, Revelation 12, verse 9. So our love, as we think about this with respect to marriage, let our love be without hypocrisy. Nothing, uh, nothing quenches, uh, seems to quench God's Holy Spirit more than, than this aspect of hypocrisy, the quencher. We, we're to have love toward God and love toward man, and in doing so, hate what is evil. Do you as a couple, as you battle your own struggles, as, as you recognize the things that are going on in the world, uh, do you as a couple abhor what is evil together? as a couple, as husband and wife. See the evils that are out there, call them for what they are, recognize them when they, they begin to creep into our lives spiritually, and, and as we assemble together and, and stay close as a couple, that we recognize that because this, this sin that, that this, this person is battling or the sin that this person's battling, it, we are one flesh, so we, we're going through that together, uh, and, and, we, and we both agree that we hate this evil, whatever this, this thing, whatever it is, anger, uh, wrath, uh, different, different sins into which we can fall, but this, this clarity as a couple of abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good. Do we talk about in our marriages, do we talk about the things that are good, the, th the things that are, that are good in our marriage, the, thing, the things that we value in marriage, the things that we value in life? Do we have open, direct communication about that, talk about that, and, and, and relish those, those wonderful things that are good? Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another. Kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. In honor, we honor, we, we, we give that we have high regard for that person, for the individual that he or she is, high regard for that person's stature, in, in terms of that, that person's stature is that person is a potential son of God, a, a potential, uh, well, it is a son of God, a, is the daughter of God with the potential of eternal life. So we, we, we give preference uh, to that individual. 
And then the last passage with, with respect to this first point that I'm going to make here in just a second is, is found in 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3 is one to which we refer often, but one of the most, I think one of the most challenging things that we as husbands face in our, in our marriages, in our lives, Peter recognized that. I know it's a, a, a bit of a generalization because it's, it's not always this case. Uh, this isn't always the case, uh, but especially for men, this can be an extra challenge. Talking in, in the earlier parts of the verses here, he's, he's going through and, and discussing the, the hidden person of the heart of the woman, of what, of what makes that woman beautiful, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Ladies, does that categorize you? If a person were to think of you, do they immediately think of with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit? because it is very precious to God. God considers it incredibly precious. Verse 4, they honored their husbands uh, in, in submission as Sarah did. And then we come to verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. This, this point two, which is our first point today, is simply this. How are we, as we do a godly checkup, as we reflect in our marriages, husbands and wives, how are we in the area of bearing with one another in love and dwelling with one another with understanding? Where would you rank yourself on the uh, zero to 100 scale? Uh, would you feel like you are, uh, as, as time goes on, beginning to better and better understand your wife, men? Uh, I know it's, it's been a life's mission for me, and I am not at 100. I'm not at 50, but I'm somewhere between 50 and 100, and I'm, and I'm getting better. But it's, it's a lifelong endeavor, I believe, for us as husbands to dwell with them with understanding, with, with gnosis, as the Greek brings out, this, this knowledge, it, gathering them in. Vines talks about this, uh, a seeking to know, an inquiry, uh, an investigation, akin to the verb meaning to be taking in knowledge, to come to know, to come to recognize, to come to understand, or to understand completely. Men, do we understand our wives completely? That's, that's the endeavor. That, that's what he says that we are to do. We, we come at things uh, so differently. Now, so, some of you may be married to a person who thinks just like you. Uh, I am not. I am not. I, my wife and I think very differently. We come at things from a very different angle a lot of times. We are very much on the same page doctrinally, of course, and in, in, in all these areas of, of foundational kinds of things, but we come at things differently. Things affect her in a way that, that don't affect me at all. And uh, I am striving sometimes to understand her uh, and what's... Uh, men, have you been in this situation before where you know something's happened and, and you, 
you, you're trying to understand what the situation is, and you kind of have a little bit of an idea what it could be, but you don't really know for sure. So we're trying to, trying to figure those things out. As time has gone on, I've, I've gotten better at uh, picking up on something a little s sooner. But, but does it matter? Does it really matter? Am I, you know, I'm just doing things what I see God says to do, and he says to do it this way, so this is the way I'm going to do it. And if you can't take it, that's your problem. Uh, or, or are we, uh, again, coming back to God's word and saying, this, this is what God's word says. I need to strive to understand my, my wife's viewpoint or how, how does she approach this? She approaches this a little bit differently than I do. Uh, am, I, am, I, am I quick to listen? Am I quick to strive to understand? Or am I quick to say, no, am I quick to hit here and hit here and, and go into the, the faultiness of maybe what we think her reasoning may be? Uh, men and, and women here, you know, those of you that have been in, in the kind of situation that is the ideal, you know what it's like to be able to sit down and have a conversation and talk about things where maybe you're looking at something completely differently, but there is such an, an understanding that the two of you have and, and such a high value that you place on each other's thoughts and, and insights that even though there may be some differences, we, we talk and, and we, we work through whatever that is uh, to to come to a better understanding of where, from where each is, is, each is coming in terms of a viewpoint. And, and in that uh, situation, there is, there is great peace. It just eases sometimes uh, the, the stress level. Men uh, uh, and women, uh, do we find ourselves sometimes majoring in the minors where I, I am making something into a major thing that is really a minor thing? Uh, and and f and for uh, f for for all of us as well, uh, are we sometimes maybe minoring in something that we believe is minor, uh, even though it's that something is is really a, a major to our spouse? Uh, as we dwell with understanding, as we give preference to our wives, and as we as we value them highly and give give that honor to them, we we begin to recognize in a, in a deeper, deeper way of, of how we can understand them and, and value what they bring to the table. This is, is one of the, the bigger causes of the challenges that we, we, we see sometimes in dealing with counseling situations is this inability to, to dwell with one another with understanding. With, with some people, it takes them uh, 30 minutes to just talk about a concept to get to what they want to, what they're really trying to say. 30, sometimes 35 minutes. Others, it takes about five seconds and they're done. Uh, and some of you may be in marriages where it's, it's that kind of uh, an opposite. Uh, men who talk to think, are, are, we in a, are we in a situation to where we can be we can recognize that our, our wives, are, who are maybe not taught to think, who, who think and think and think and then say what they say in a very short, short uh, bit of words, are we, are we willing 
are we aware of that to where we don't then hold the floor for 35, 40 minutes? We try to narrow it down and force ourselves into a little tighter construct of maybe like 15 minutes if we're talking about something, or, or because we understand our wives, and vice versa. Sometimes uh, uh, the woman is, is much more talkative uh, and, and understanding that, that, that the man, after a certain amount of time, begins to glaze over uh, as, as she's processing all these things. You, got, you guys know how it goes. You, uh, you, you know uh, uh, the, the types that each of you, each of you uh, possesses as, as you interact. But it's, but it's that understanding, knowing that it's going to take a little bit of time for my wife to be able to explain this, for her to really talk this out. I need to sh shut my mouth and listen and try to understand. Uh, and, and vice versa, depending on that situation. But, but bearing with one another in love and dwelling with one another with understanding. When, when we're firing on all cylinders in, in that way, it, you've got a marriage that is rocking. You know, it is really, really going well. And uh, many, I, I, I know from, from seeing so many marriages at work, many are in that state. And, and you, know, you know the work that it, that it took to do that. You know some of the ways that you were able to, to work together. Maybe some of your personality types that blended to make that easy. And uh, you know the areas where you had to put in some serious effort uh, to, to really come to that, to that point where this, this kind of, of statement, dwelling with them with understanding, characterizes your marriage. Does it? Does it characterize your marriage? Does it characterize my marriage? It is, it is certainly a goal uh, for which God's people who are married should be strategizing together as a couple to work towards. It takes, takes a, a ton of communication, but it is worthwhile as, as those who have experienced it know. Can't, read, can't leave that point without going to the rest of this verse because it's so critical. We know this passage, but husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. I'm not talking about... Uh, fortitude and, and spiritual strength and willpower. Uh, I'm not talking about that, but talking about physically. The, the, the female sex is, is weaker physically. Uh, so men especially, we give honor to the wife. We hold, hold her in high esteem as to that woman who is, who is weaker physically, but esteeming her for everything that she is that in which God has blessed her as, as she's your wife, and, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. We're, we're both, male and female, created in the image of God, and we're both heirs together of the grace of life. We do not want our prayers to be hindered, as verse 7 says. So that was our first point, uh, point two overall today. Uh, bearing with one another in love and dwelling with one another with under, understanding. I, I would just ask us to, to uh, for those who, who really haven't done that recently, to just sit down and have that conversation. I, I think, again, I, I think there are probably many marriages here where, where you do that regularly. We, we, you talk about the status of your marriage, the status of, of the connection that you have, some of the areas that we're, we're striving to get this right and we're, we're on it, but it's, it's healthy, it's good. It's, it's godly to, uh, to strive in these areas and to talk about how we can do better. Okay, this next one I'm going to uh, 
cover just very briefly because it's one of the big four that we talk about in, in pre-marriage counseling uh, and, and, and often comes up in, in areas of, of, of marriage counseling as, as their challenges. And for this, I really should have that man go back to the back and open up his briefcase and come up and, and talk a bit here. But let's talk a little bit about finances, okay? Let's talk a little bit about finances. How are your finances? Uh, how are you as husband and wife in terms of, of the way that you make decisions uh, financially? How is that going? Is there, is there stress there? Is there a bit of uh, uneasiness? Uh, in, in terms of some of the financial decisions that are made, what process do you as husband and wife use or, or implement to make decisions financially? What are the big four, the big four marriage problems that, that we, we, we frequently see uh, that has been documented? These are the big four. Uh, sexual issues, finances, uh, in-laws <laughs> is another one, uh, extended family issues. But then uh, the fourth one uh, over, overlays all of them, communication. And, and sometimes uh, when, when there are problems in finances, I'll say almost always, communication uh, permeates, uh, communication issues permeate that. Let's go to Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 6. Just talk about a, a few things here by way of introduction to this point. As husband and wife, as you are a unit, uh, we, we know that the husband's role, uh, he that doesn't provide for his, his, his family is, is not on, has not only denied the faith, but is worse than an unbeliever. So we, we know that we have the res responsibility, uh, men, to, to do our part in, in, uh, in working and in earning a living to provide for our families. We know that it, it falls upon us. Now, there are situations health-wise that sometimes uh, create a, a different strategy that needs to be implemented, but it falls on on the responsibility of, of the, the, the father, the, the husband of the household to provide. And we, we have, you know, first up, the, it goes without saying, but, but, but I need to say it because sometimes we have folks that, that struggle with this. We've got to tithe faithfully. We've got to tithe faithfully. Uh, husbands and wives, as, as you look at your finances, uh, is, is that in place? Are, are we... Uh, robbing God by not tithing faithfully? What, what are the practices with which you make decisions about how we tithe and, and when we tithe? And is that something that both of you agree upon? Is, uh, is, is Proverbs 3.9 in effect? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Is, is that happening? Uh, if, if it's a situation in your family where the, the man, the husband, is primarily responsibility for the fi uh, responsible for the finances, he, he manages all the finances. I'm not saying that's the only way to do it. Uh, the husband is the head of the wife, as, as Christ is head of the church. We, we recognize that. But in, in some cases, in some families, the wife uh, really enjoys doing that and, 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 and handles and manages it well. And, and, and the husband and wife stay in contact with one another. We see the work that that 
the uh, Proverbs 31 wife talks about and the things that she manages and such, it, it can be doable. And I've known many families where uh, there, there's been an equal sharing. There, there have been many families where the husband takes care of the, the finances. There have been uh, families where the wife primarily manages the funds. Uh, but, but, they, but they talk about it and, and they're in a communication with one another. But stepping back, back to the, to the tithing. Are you comfortable, husband and wife, with the, the state of the way that you're determining your tithes and paying tithes? Is, is, it, is it based on godly principles? Uh, what, what if it's a little off? Because this is when we start to run into difficulties. We've dealt with this from time to time. The husband says to the wife, I'm in charge. I'm the head of the household. I'm in charge of the finances. So I'm dealing with that, and it's not your business to deal with it. Leave it to me. And, and yet the wife knows and, and feels very uncomfortable about some of the decisions that are being made in, in, to where uh, she has serious concerns about whether or not he's tithing faithfully. What do, what do you do in that situation? It's not your responsibility, woman. So it's my responsibility. Uh, and I answer to God for this, so back off. Uh, you think about that, and, and I've seen some take that uh, approach uh, before. It creates a problem. It creates a problem because, yes, the husband is the head of the wife. Uh, yes, the husband is, uh, does answer to God for the decisions that he makes as a family. But you've got, you've got a wife who is in the faith and who is striving to follow God's word as, as she should faithfully, and she is married to a husband who claims to be in the faith and following the truth faithfully, and yet there is a disconnect there with, with the decisions that he's making. Is she supposed to just deal with that? Then we get into the situation of we ought to obey God rather than men, as Acts 5 says. So uh, how, how we, we work through that uh, and how we discuss those kinds of things and and, and come to a, a solid decision about how we need to do something is critical. It's critical for the, the health and, and stability of the marriage. My, my suggestion to you, if, if both feels that the, the approach is right and uh, that their approach is right and they're both very different uh, in, in the way that they view something should be handled, uh, especially with respect to tithing, get counsel. Get counsel, get, get to a minister, talk about it, brainstorm, and, and strive to work that out if you get stuck. Uh, but but, uh, but it, it's critical. Uh, I, I've seen men over the years sometimes, and I say men, I think it can happen either way, but I've seen men get into that mode where uh, I make the decisions and you need to just deal with it. Uh, and, and I answer to God, I, I submit to you that in those situations there, uh, they're, they're, the, the person is taking that statement of the husband is the head of the wife and yet not coming over here and saying, I need to dwell with my wife with understanding. If I dwell with my wife with understanding and I realize this woman whom I love, who love God, loves God's way of life and is deeply concerned about our not doing things in a godly way before God, I, I should value that. <laughs> and I better, I better listen, and we better, we better come together and try to work through this. Anyway, uh, that, that's one element of finances. Uh, this, another element of finances, just the simple principle uh, of 
what, how are we characterized? Are, are you characterized, am I characterized as a person who works diligently and who is diligent with what I earn? Am I willing to do without? Am I willing to analyze my, my expenditures? Uh, but, but, but do I work diligently? Proverbs 6, as we said, uh, the story of the ant. Proverbs 6, verse, verse 6, go to the ant, you sluggard, Consider her ways and be wise. Young people here, teens, uh, seven, eight, ten-year-olds, as even nine-year-olds, as you're in, in your families and, and as you're, you're given tasks, are you characterized by a person who is diligent, who works hard? Do your parents see you as trying to wiggle out of, of, of assignments and, and tasks that he or uh, she, she needs to do, but when they ask you to do something, do you, are you Johnny on the spot and get in there and I, I'm getting after, I'm going to do it with all my might? Uh, or do they have to go and check up on you to see if, 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 if you're being lazy over here? Uh, this is to what he's getting here. Look at this, verse 7. Which having no captain, nobody has to drive them, which, which, you know, get to work. Uh, overseer or ruler, but uh, pro provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When, when will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. On the job, how are we characterized? How, how, would, your, uh, how would your bosses, how do my bosses, uh, how would they characterize us as individuals? Do they see that as a person who is a hard worker, who has a diligent work ethic? I, I think I may have told you this. Uh, Mr. Saul Langarica gave a message up in, up in Sherman and really, really appreciated this. He was talking about the young people there in, uh, in Santiago, how it's, it's such a difficult area there in, in that part of Latin America because of the number of people that work on the Sabbath. And you're just expected to work on the Sabbath. And he said, here we've got these young people, they're coming out, they're getting their jobs, they're, they're starting to work in the work world, and all of a sudden, boom, you've got you to work on the Sabbath. You've got to work on Saturdays. And if you don't, you're going to lose your job. And these, these people come in, uh, God's people, and they work their tails off. They just work and work and work. And then here it comes, I need you to work this Saturday. And they say, no, I can't, respectfully. I'll work, I'll work the other six days, but I can't do this. And then he said, what happens? They lose their jobs. They lose their jobs. And then he said, uh, many, many times, uh, the, the employer has come back two or three days later and say, we want you back. I, I know you can't work Saturdays, but you're one, of our, you're one of our best workers, but we need you. Can you come back and we'll give you your Saturdays off? Doesn't always happen that way. We, we've gotta be prepared and, and many of us here have lost jobs because of the Sabbath, but, but that, kind of, that kind of work ethic means a lot. It means a lot to God. God, God sees those who are willing to work and God, God honors that and, and, and folks, that do so are also respected uh, by their employers for their work ethic. Are we that kind of individual? Are we building in our marriages? Are we, are we striving to build an emergency fund? I, I, think of, I think of this passage here in verse 8, provides her supplies in the summer, gathers her food in the harvest uh, to prepare for what's ahead. 
uh, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs uh, versus striving to work a plan to, to minimize our debt, to get out of debt, and to be saving money on, on a monthly, monthly basis. Some have done that. It's just come naturally to them, as that's the way we were raised. Others uh, had to make some, some hard decisions uh, to prioritize their expenditures and, and, and develop the plans, develop the budgets, agreed upon budgets, and, and base those plans on godly principles to begin to, to save. Scripture says in Ephesians 4 that we are to work so that, and labor so that we may be able to give to others in need. Uh, God's people are, are working in those areas. And, and again, I, I know that many of us can get in some, some really tight spots financially. Maybe some of us are now, but there are, there are all kinds of programs out there. I think of uh, Dave Ramsey's program on, on uh, being able to get on top of, of our finances and, and shift some ways of thinking. Uh, if you need some help with that, if you need some counsel, uh, there, there's plenty of help out there. Reach, reach out and we'll, uh, we'll help you with that. But, but finances and not being able to manage those and not being on a plan and, and a togetherness as husband and wife to, to work through that creates real, real challenges. But when, uh, but when we are uh, doing, uh, working together, we're on, uh, firing on all, all cylinders. One other uh, thought with that is some of us are, uh, some of us are in, incredible at, uh, what do they call that, Squeeze, squeezing the blood out of a buffalo nickel. They, we can save that, save that money uh, and, and save it and save it and save it, and it's natural. Well, opposites tend to attract. Uh, on the flip side of that, there are folks that it just, money just, it's here and it goes. I don't know what happened to it, but it just went. Uh, you know where you fall on that on that spectrum. I guess we could put it this way. On, on the one hand, you've got the person who is, is so tight on the budget that I know McDonald's is having those 50, 50 cent deals on ice cream cones, but we really can't afford that right now. We need to budget, budget, budget. 2026, May, we're going to hit as soon as the first heat comes out. We'll, we'll get an ice cream cone at McDonald's, but we need to plan accordingly. Versus the other uh, where, oh, this, this is an incredible opportunity that's coming up. I know it's like $3,000, but when, when is this chance going to come up again? We've, we've got to take advantage of it. We've got to take advantage. We'll find the money somewhere. It'll work. Uh, how many of us are in situations where we know our tendencies are, are like that as a couple? How do we work together on that? Uh, we, we develop a plan. We develop a strategy. We prioritize. We, we talk. And we dwell with one another with understanding. Because there's something about for this, this regimented person that, that budgets down to the, 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 the nickel or the penny there, there's something about the spontaneity of this person over here and the, the joy of like, whoa, here's an opportunity. Oh, this is exciting. Uh, that that draws, draws that person and vice versa. I just, I'm excited about this and this and this, but okay, this person will keep me grounded. Uh, do we value that? Do we value what each brings to the table and can we dwell with one another with understanding and work on a plan with which we can agree? These are uh, critical pieces in, in marriage. The other, uh, the other thought with that is as we, 
as we budget, as, as we should, and strive to do that. We remember that we want to avoid greed and covetousness of money. Uh, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity, as, uh, as Paul, as uh, Solomon says. Okay, I want to get to our fourth point now. And let's go to Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32. I would say for me, at least as a, as a pastor, the, the most challenging area of marriage uh, issues, I guess the, the greatest number of issues or challenges that people have in the church and, and would like to seek counsel, uh, probably, it, that, all that probably falls under, under this category. How would you categorize your, your marriage in this regard? Ephesians 4, I'll go ahead and turn there, get there in a second. Okay. What is your ability as a couple to manage, to navigate the bumps in the road, the differences, the misunderstandings, the hurts, the conflicts which can arise? What's your ability to, to navigate through those? When conflict and disappointment, hurts, frustrations arise, is, do you both have a heightened sense of awareness, awareness when that happens? Do you both find yourselves, okay, we, we're at odds here, something's happened. Do you both immediately go into what I guess we would call a constructive pattern a constructive pattern to resolve the issue. Uh, one of the, the greatest strengths that a marriage can have, besides obviously uh, completely taking in of God's Word and living that in, in our spiritual lives, but one of the greatest tools that, that a marriage can have is, is the awareness of one and, and hopefully both to recognize when conflict arises, we, we go into a heightened sense of awareness and immediately move into constructive patterns, patterns that we use, that we begin implementing to work us through this issue. Again, uh, it could be something that, 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 uh, that uh, I, I say something to Lisa that hurts, hurts her feelings, that, or I do something that disappoints her. I recognize that she's, she's disappointed, or I recognize that she's hurt either by her saying something or, or by seeing that it, you know, emotionally it's, it's impacted her. And then what do I do about it? Do I, do I have a heightened sense of awareness and then immediately go into a constructive way to address this? Uh, and, and do we follow those steps do we, they, based on godly principles? I have, I have done something here. I need to leave my gift at the altar. I've got to go get this worked out here. I, I may not, as we said earlier, I may not know exactly what it is, but I, most times I kind of have an inkling of what I may have done or didn't do or should have done and didn't do, uh, but, but I've got to reach out. Uh, and, and conversely, uh, my wife in that situation needs, needs to be thinking, okay, how am I going to address this with Andy? I've got, I've got to cover this with him if he doesn't see it. Uh, and then, but, but we get into, we go into this pattern and the pattern is, is all about constructively talking through the issue to, to grasp how we've hurt the other or how, how this has happened, get to an understanding. It could be a, a complete misunderstanding. And then, then we, we, 
we effectively talk through that and boom, it's, it's, it's covered, it's done. It could be a deeper hurt. Uh, then I've got to put on my listening ears. I've got to not put up the defenses right away. Yeah, but, but this is what happened here. And I, I was thinking of this and, and, and you, you need to understand, this is, this is why, I would, why I did that. Uh, that. That's not effective, Andy. <laughs> the effective thing is, is, is to listen and, and to understand and, and grasp how that, because I'm dwelling with my wife with understanding, she's, she's coming to me or I'm recognizing that something is off here, so I need to focus in. This, this is a situation. Let's, let's, let's talk through this. Let's, let's, let me make sure I understand what I've done. And, and once I've done that, then, then we work through the, the healing process, the repairing of the situation. What do I need to do differently? Uh, and, you know, all of these factors are in place. The active listening, the listening to understand, the acknowledgement of what's been said by repeating back and, and, and so the other understands that I understood. Assertiveness, being able to express that this hurt me. And some people that's just, it's like, pulling teeth to get a person to say, this hurt me, when it really did hurt me. And, and so then, then instead of following this constructive pattern to resolve this, you know, be it the Matthew 18 or the, uh, or again, the leaving the gift of the altar, instead of doing that, we get into this other dysfunctional cycle which is, okay, silent treatment, and then, you know, nothing, and, or act like nothing's gone wrong, and then all of a sudden it's too much, and then blow up, and then tippy-toe, 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 and then, then try to, try to kind of be nice to each other again and start talking again, and then things, I think things are okay, but we've not really talked about anything, and this is still really killing me, and then blows up, you know, destructive cycles. Uh, we know uh, in, in our marriages here, you know when you, get, you, when, you, when you fall into the dysfunctional, destructive cycle, <laughs> which is really not communication, versus a constructive, healthy, godly-based model that Scripture gives us. So critical. And, and some couples battle with that all their lives. Uh, some couples don't even think about it. They're just in that dysfunctional cycle. And there are all kinds of dysfunctional cycles, but you know, you know what they are if, if you fall into them. And, 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 and hopefully we know the, the constructive pattern to follow. Uh, as, as we do that, uh, we're bearing with one another in love. We're going to our brother. We're, we're leaving our gift at the altar to, to try to repair things. And we're dealing with these areas of repentance, forgiveness, doing battle with our own individual feelings of resentment and calling it for what it is. I'm, I'm in a resentful attitude. That, that is sinful. I'm upset about this. Yes, this person, uh, my husband, my wife did this or said this, and it hurt me, but I've allowed myself to get in a, a, a situation of feeling resentment, and that's on me. That's on me. That is not uh, one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Uh, as he, well, let's look at verse 31. Think about this in marriage because we can, we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God in marriage if we're, not, if we're not on guard and if we're not following constructive patterns. Uh, verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, let it be put away from you with all malice. 
Boy, we can just think of the right things to say at the right time sometimes that would just nail it. Or the right mood to set that really can put that other person in, in a state. And, and that is, those are all the wisdom that is, is from below, that, descend, that is from above, below, not that what comes down from on high, God's Spirit. Verse 32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Boy, it's so critical for us as husbands and wives to, to be ready to forgive, to be ready to be tender-hearted, to be ready to restore the relationship uh, when, when conflicts arise. Matthew 6.14 speaks to that. Let's turn there briefly. Matthew 6.14 Speaking of, uh, as, as he talks and brings to conclusion the, the outline prayer in, in asking, uh, for, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Verse 14, Matthew 6, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I, I want to be forgiven by God for everything I've ever done and everything that I do in the future. Uh, I've got to be forgiving. I've got to be eager to forgive. I've got to be eager to restore uh, the relationship in situations where uh, they are, they, they can be restored. Uh, but but this, this evil, this evil speaking, this clamoring, this, this anger, you've, we've talked about this before, but you know, the Andy Griffith episode where uh, you've got the couple there that everybody just, oh, they're, they're like, I cannot take this couple. Every time they come to town, come in out of the hills, they come to town and they're just yelling at each other and screaming at each other. And it's, it's just awful. And everybody's trying to kind of avoid them. And Andy sits them down. And he talks to them as sheriff. He says, listen, you know, just, let, let, why don't we try this? Try to be nice and, and try to be kind and be gentle. Look, she's your wife. She fixes you your meals and she does this for you and this. And, and look at what he does for you. He works out hard in the field. I can't remember all the things that Andy said, but anyway, that's what I remember. And they, they, all of a sudden there's this great awareness of that and they, they get the picture and they're, they're, they're so sweet with everybody. So sweet, uh, so sweet with one another, but everybody else in town, they bite their heads off. Uh, So, you know, they they just finally ended up, no, I think it's better for them to be fighting and off and alone. And at least they're nice to us townspeople. Uh, Don't don't do that. God, God's way of life works, works in the way of we all we 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 all that 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 part of being a part of the church and being kind to one another also extends to the marriage and back out uh, to all that we come in with whom we come in contact. Okay, so let's uh, let's look at this. at this last point here, I, I would encourage you if uh, if you haven't done so, uh, there there's an article, uh, one that is in uh, it's in a most uh, recent blog post that uh, Mr. Eddie Foster wrote in in talking about uh, a, a situation that. Uh, you've heard used, and, and probably I think everybody is, is aware, uh, of how to avoid an emotional uh, affair. He, he writes in his July 10th article, marriage should be a loving partnership between best friends 
who are intimately close and want to share every step of their lives. And for Christians, marriage should go even deeper than this. When we get married, we recognize that we're, we're no longer our own person. Instead, we literally belong to each other. We enter into a covenant before God to join together and to become one flesh. And what happens sometimes in, in marriages, because neither can completely fulfill every aspect of what the person may envision what that mate should do. Uh, and, and some get really, really disappointed when the husband or the wife can't fulfill every aspect of that. And, and, and then as, as that coalesces in that person's mind, the person can begin to reach out, male or female, and, and connect with others. Uh, when husbands and wives, he continues, ignore these responsibility and roles, uh, problems arise. When a spouse's needs are neglected, especially emotional needs, he or she can be tempted to fulfill these needs outside of marriage. This can lead to a physical affair, uh, affair where one seeks sexual intimacy outside the marriage. And the Bible, of course, is clear that this is never the solution. But that isn't the only type of affair that can occur due to neglected needs. And, you know, healthy relationships with others outside of the marriage is... is uh, is very positive and, and good, but a friend should not become, as, as Eddie mentions in his article, a surrogate marriage partner or a closer companion than one's spouse. spouse. We, are, we are to be that one flesh, and there, there are areas of, of closeness and intimacy in our interactions with one another that, that are the model. It's the model. It's the goal that God uh, sets for us. So as husbands and wives, talk, talk about that. Uh, are, are there, are there uh, relationships that could be considered unhealthy that could lead to something, uh, something uh, worse happening in the marriage? But he, but he mentions uh, in one of the ways that, or the ways that we can avoid getting into that is, uh, is to practice being grateful and regularly giving thanks and appreciation to your spouse. Talk about the victories that we have as a couple. Talk about the things that we have going well in our marriages. Practice showing mercy and compassion to our partner uh, as, as he or she struggles to, to meet needs and, and to forgive offenses that could lead to contempt or bitterness. Regularly have open conversations about the health of your marriage and how well both of you are doing at meeting the needs of the other. How often do we have those conversations? How often do we talk about that? Is it, is it something that, that flows freely in our marriage that we can discuss uh, the, the things that, that are going well, the things that we need to work on as a, as a family? Let's uh, turn finally uh, two passages to, to wrap this up today. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 7. As we look at our, our last point here, building on all of these other points, remember that those of us who are married, the goal is to become one flesh, to become one flesh physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. That's the goal. Sometimes, as, as uh, I, I'll admit, as, as I would read 1 Corinthians 7 over the years, I sometimes have struggled with that, that, the passage and, and Paul's mindset. Uh, I... 
I think I've come to, to grasp uh, what, what he's really getting at there, and I admit my own idiocy in, in not really seeing that before. But it always kind of troubled me a little bit when I read through this passage. So let's, uh, let's go there now as we look at, as we look at this point. So I've, I've always kind of tried to, to figure this out. Uh, verse 1, now concerning the things which of which you wrote me. So they, they wrote him asking, uh, asking some things and wanted to get some clarity on. He says, it's not good for a man to touch a woman. Nevertheless, verse 2, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Now, as I, as I would read that over the years, I, I would think sometimes, like Paul's saying, if you're really at a higher level, then you wouldn't be thinking about wanting to be, uh, be with a wife and, and, and uh, intimacy and all of those things. But, but uh, it's better, it's so much better if you, if you don't. Uh, and that's kind of the way I viewed that. And, and shame on me for thinking that, but I just I didn't, I wasn't able to put it all together. And re reflecting back on that, we've got to realize, okay, Paul was the one whom God used to write Ephesians 5 about marriage. Paul was the one uh, whom God used to write 1 Corinthians 13, the, the, love, the love passage, which we, we go through and talk about in, uh, in the marriage ceremony. Uh, Paul was very much understanding of, of God as father, uh, who is father of all of his children. God, uh, Paul knew the marriage, uh, the marriage union is a beautiful thing. It is a, a beautiful thing before God. And it is, it is the first relationship that God established at creation, this role of husband and wife for, for God to create a means for which to increase his family that he would have for eternity. So Paul was into marriage. Uh, Paul was into marriage, and he was into marriage in, in a big way. But, but this is what, what's, what I, I think he's getting at here as we go through it. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 2, Nevertheless, as we said, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. I think we know what he's mainly talking about here with the, the uh, physical intimacy in marriage, but I, but I think there's a bit more that he's, that he's gathering as you, as you look at this and in the rest of the chapter, which we won't cover the latter part of the chapter. But he says, uh, the, so he says, to render the, to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife render the affection due to her husband. So he says here in verse 4, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body. She no longer has authority over her body. The husband is the one who has authority over her body. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body. But the wife has that. He's saying that, we, that there is a unity and a oneness that is there, that they are one body. It's no more this, I've got authority over you and this authority over here. We, we, are, we are to render... The, the affection do them uh, in every aspect. He says, now don't deprive one another except with consent for a time uh, that, uh, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. So doctrinal point here that in, in times of fasting and in deep devotion and in, in 
setting aside for specific time for this, this kind of uh, fasting and prayer situation, that, that we should be free of sexual relations during that time. But he says, and then come together again. That, so Satan doesn't tempt you because of your lack of control, self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For then he says, for I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God. Each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Now, when I, when I read that, that, that's when the light really, really came on, is that Paul, Paul is thinking, okay, here I am. I am not married. I am, am able to, to live in this situation, and I can totally focus on serving God and totally fo- focus on serving uh, the brethren and, and my life. I'm going here and there. All of it, it's, it's totally on that. And he says that's, that's a good thing. He says later that like for, for, for widows and, and, and others that are in an unmarried state, this is a good calling, he says, to be in that, in that state. And yet at the same time, we know the passage, it's not good for man to be alone. So are those two in opposite of each other, uh, working opposite each other? Not, not at all. Uh, what, what I see Paul getting at here is that this, this thing of rendering the due affection, rendering the due affection, rendering the, the, the affection due her, and this thing of, of loving our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Paul is saying here, listen, with this marriage thing, it's all in. It's all in, men. You're no longer your own. Your wife has authority over your body. Uh, You have authority over her body to render the due affection, uh, the affection due her is is to completely uh, seek to understand her and value her and care for her. Uh, to dwell with that wife with understanding. And, and that is a major, major, major commitment that you men are accountable to God to do. And you wives are accountable to, before God to do as, as, as you worship God and are in this state of marriage. So if, if you're going to go that route, it's, it's all in. Uh, and, and especially as, as Christians, uh, the, the role that we have at, at to, to grow together as one, uh, as, as the latter part of 1 Peter 3, 7 says, it's, it's a major endeavor. But, but at the same time, Paul says, as we read here in verse, in verse 7, for I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God. And I look at that and, and say, I, I've been given this gift. I've been given the gift of marriage from God. And if I'm single and, and I'm not in a state of marriage, I've been given that gift from God. God has given me a precious gift because of what's in store of the future. I am able to dedicate everything to serving God and His church and, 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 and the people of God. And if I am married... God has given me this wonderful gift, this gift of being able to, to have a wife and a family and to see the picture of what all, of what all it means, the, the typology there for what's going on in, in the future. And, uh, and I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Either way. Can we be good with that? Either way. Becoming one flesh physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. 
we, to, to render to his wife the affection due her, to dwell with our wives with understanding, to, to love our wives as ourselves, to bear with one another in love. It's a big thing if, if we're to engage in this act of marriage. So connectedness, enhancing the quality of our marriage. Let's turn finally to Ephesians 4, go back where we started. Are we working at it? What's the state of our marriages? Have we developed strategies to enhance our marriages? What are the strengths? What are the growth areas? What could help strengthen our marriage? All of us have weak areas. Some of us are even stunted in some ways as our mates dwell with us uh, with understanding and as uh, we bear with one another in love. Areas where we're striving to grow and mature even though we may be uh, stunted. I'll I'll say this and and remember this if, if you could. Connectedness or intimacy cannot occur without vulnerability. Are there any marriages here to where the wall has needed to be put up in our own minds to where I have been hurt so much that I'm going to put that wall up because every time I make myself vulnerable, I get hurt. Uh, That wall can be erected and it does provide some protection, but as the wall strengthens, as that wall strengthens with all of its reinforcements over time, the marriage cools and becomes cold. Indifference, apathy, hopelessness, tenderness, sharing of, of, of lives, uh, the, the lack of tenderness, the interests together and the plans, all those fade and the marriage is destroyed nonetheless. Vulnerability represents one of the most beautiful aspects of the marriage relationship. We want to strive to make ourselves vulnerable. That's where true intimacy lies. Finally, Ephesians 4. Let's think about this passage as we conclude with respect to our marriages. Yes, it's for the church, but our marriage within the church is especially critical in this regard. Are we all, verse 13, as, as couples, are we coming to the unity of the faith the, the truth, the knowledge of God, the things that we read and understand, the knowledge of the Son of God to a complete man, a, a, a perfect man, uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Are we striving for that as husbands and wives? It keeps us from being tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the deceitful craftiness, uh, plotting and uh, deceitful, uh, deceitful plotting and craftiness. But we speak the truth in love to one another, and we're, we're seeking to grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. From whom the whole body, in this case, the body, the single body, the one body, the one flesh, husband and wife, who yield themselves to one another as as they fill their roles as as God intended. Knit together by what every joint supplies, we recognize the effective working by which every part does its share as we as a team, as a couple, work together in Christ, understanding the the plan of God and and so much more as the day approaching. We do our our share and as a result, cause growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Brethren, do a check. Do a check. May we continue to do checks. Thank you for the examples that you set. Thank you for the examples that you set in your families for your kids to see that. Thank you for the example that you set before God. 
Thank you for the example that you set with your marriages in your communities. And for me personally, it's very heartening to see God's people work, work to grow together in love.